Welcome to The Upward Journey, the podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina. You know it's strange, but true. The most important turning points of life often come at the most unexpected times and in the most unexpected ways. Most of us can easily identify that one moment in life where things were going in one direction and then out of nowhere, we intersect what we didn't anticipate. Yet, that can be a good thing because oftentimes we will only understand the miracle of life when we allow the unexpected to happen. Thankfully, Jesus understands this about us as he has done some crazy radical things to show us the crazy radical love of God. Let's take a look at the five craziest things Jesus did as we continue the upper journey. Allow us to say Happy Mother's Day to you, and we've got a special treat uh, for you and for all the ladies as we honor you today, as you leave today. Over here, my left, your right, there are tables filled with fantastic personal bunt cakes. I'm going to be honest with you, I need a little bit better reaction than that right there because these bunt cakes are fantastic. <laughs> I may or may not have tasted one or five. I'm not saying that, all right? But I'm letting you know, man, these bunt cakes are fantastic. Hey, it's just a small token of appreciation that we have for you. Uh, it is for every lady in the house today. So as you leave today, they are on the tables that are located by this door, and the door's been in the back back there. Make sure you grab one on your way out uh, as you leave today. And we also want to pause here for a moment and say this. Hey, uh, we also recognize that while this is a day of celebration for many, uh, for others, this may be a little bit of a tough day. Uh, for a variety of reasons and circumstances. And we want you to know something that you are not alone. Hey, we love you. We're praying for you. We're standing with you uh, during this time. And we want you to know that we honor and celebrate you as well. And you are not, uh, you're just not alone today. And we are praying for you and lifting you up. But we do want to take a moment to say Happy Mother's Day and celebrate uh, that as well. Uh, in case we haven't met yet, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And I get a chance to be able to share week three of our teaching series that we've been in called Crazy Jesus. Now, as we have said at the beginning of every week, we do not believe that Jesus was crazy, uh, not by a long shot, but we do have to admit that there were some crazy things that Jesus did, right? Uh, there's some weird stuff out there that Jesus did that on the surface don't make a whole lot of sense and uh, kind of causes us to scratch our head a little bit and wonder what was going on. And so we've been taking the last two weeks, this week, and then two more weeks, we've been taking some time to dive into those stories and see what uh, Jesus wants to say to us during this time. And perhaps one of the craziest things that Jesus ever did was talk back to his mama. Yeah, some of you know exactly where that's going. Uh, I wonder how many of us have got a story or a situation we were growing up that we talked back to our mama. Yeah, all right, yeah, so I'm not, I'm not immune to that. When I was about nine years old, uh, I was sitting on the floor in our living room, and I was watching some television show. My mom was in the kitchen cleaning up, and uh, she said from the kitchen, hey, Greg, I need you to go do something. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't really remember what she asked me to do. Uh, it could have been like, go clean your room, go take out the trash, something like that, some chore that I was supposed to be taking care of. And I just said back, okay, I'll get to it later. All the moms start laughing at this point in time. It's kind, of, it's kind of funny. All right, and she said, no, I want you to do it now. And I'm not really sure why I responded the way that I responded next, but before I could stop myself, the next words that flew out of my mouth were, no, I'll get to it when I'm ready. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Say what? Exactly. So um, 
it's kind of hard to explain what happened next, so just kind of go with me for a moment here. Somehow or another, my mom developed super speed. Because before I could turn my head around, she was standing behind me. And then somehow or another, my mom got super strength. Because she would reach around and she would grab me by both ears and she'd jerk me up off the ground. To the point to where she jerked me up and spun me around and had me eyeball to eyeball with her in that moment. And in uh, just a few short words, let me know that if I did not go do what she was now no longer asking but telling me to do, that I was going to meet Jesus a whole lot sooner than I was supposed to. (laughs) My response at that point in time was, yes, ma'am, and I'm gone, and I'm going and doing it right then in that moment. And here we are 30 years later, and my mom still likes to talk about the time that she picked me up by my ears. Chances are we all have some kind of story like that where we talk back to our mama. Well, in the Gospel of John, we have recorded a story that seems kind of like that as well, Uh, a time where it looks like that Jesus is doing something crazy and talking back to his mama. And it it occurs in John chapter 2. It's the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And so we pick up in reading John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And here's what it says. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited. John starts it off by saying the next day, so it's pretty important for us to make sure that we jump back and find out what had happened in the previous days. Jesus was beginning his public ministry, and he began calling some of his very first disciples. And he calls Andrew, and he calls Peter, and he calls Philip, and he calls Nathaniel. And in the previous day, something powerful happens between Jesus and Nathaniel, because Nathaniel would look at Jesus and says, You are the Son of God. And it's pretty important for us to hold on to that as we go through uh, this story today that Nathaniel makes this claim that Jesus is the Son of God. And then we find out that Jesus and his disciples, and they meet up with Mary at this wedding. And chances are it was a a family friend or, or maybe a family member who was getting married, but Mary was invited, Jesus was invited, and they show up at this wedding. And then in verse 3 we find out that something's going awry, that there's a little bit of a problem says in verse 3 that the wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Wedding festivities during this time were a little bit different than what we might picture them to be today. You see, the wedding festivities would last about a week. They would last about seven days. And during this time period, much food and much drink was consumed. And every day, you had new people showing up. So you'd have some people that would show up on day one, then some more that would show up on day two, some more that would show up on day three, all the way through the seventh day. And so, sure, there was this massive financial strain that was placed upon the groom whose responsibility it was to provide for his guests. Now, this part right here hits a little bit close to home for me uh, because I have two daughters. And chances are, many, 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 many years from now, I may have to find myself paying for two weddings. And I can see the dollar signs just kind of rolling in my head. And those of you that have had to pay for weddings before, you understand some of that financial burden that goes along with that. When Danielle and I got married and it came time for her father to walk her down the aisle and the minister asked her and says, who gives this woman to this man to be wed? His response was this, her mother, the Discover card, and I. (laughs) He felt what it was like to experience the financial strain of a wedding. I did a little bit of research and man, I pray to God this is not true, but it probably is. I researched and found out that the average American wedding costs $30,000 
slap me upside the face and call me something else. I mean, good grief. That is, oh, that just, yeah, cha-ching, exactly. And that's just for one day. This family had a wedding celebration that lasted for seven days. So, of course, they felt the financial strain. But that was only a small portion of the strain that was getting ready to happen as they were discovering that they had run out of wine at the wedding. You see, running out of food or running out of wine at a wedding would not only bring uh, financial stress, but it also brought great shame to the couple for a very long time. Uh, See, a wedding was supposed to be the best party of all. And if the host failed to provide adequate hospitality, it would bring great dishonor to that family. Running out of food or drink would have been a huge embarrassment. And in the closely knit communities of Jesus' day, it's not like this would have been forgotten in a week or in a year or something like that. This shame and this embarrassment would have followed this couple for the rest of their lives. Think about it in our kind of context. You ever been hosting like a party or been hosting a dinner over at your house and you had a lot of people show up and then all of a sudden you're kind of questioning, do I have enough food? Is this going to last? So you're kind of watching, uh, okay, okay, you only get one piece of chicken, you don't get two. Um, you're tapping somebody on the shoulder, hey, I need you to run to the store and get some more drinks because we're running out. We're out of ice, we're out of food, we're out of drink, this is not good. And we feel a little bit of the pressure, the frustration, maybe even a little bit of the embarrassment that goes along with that. But for this couple, imagine that it was their wedding day. It was their son's wedding day. It was their daughter's wedding day. And so the embarrassment and the shame for them went to a whole new level. But the embarrassment and the shame wasn't the end of it as well. See, during this time period, it was possible to take legal action in certain circumstances against a man who had failed to provide the appropriate wedding gift. In other words, that groom and his family may well have been financially liable and could have been sued or could have been, uh, had to have some kind of financial obligation to be able to pay back as well. There was a financial punishment that would have been put in place during this time period if you failed to provide adequately the food and the drink in a wedding. They were running out of wine. They were facing embarrassment, humiliation, shame, and punishment. What was supposed to be the happiest day of their life was now quickly turning into a nightmare. Ever been there? Life was going good. Life was going okay. Things were going like they were supposed to, and then all of a sudden, it turned into a nightmare. We were faced with a crisis, faced with a problem that kept us up at night, faced with a situation that seemed to be the only thing that we could focus on, faced with a situation that seemed to rob us of our joy, It seemed to be able to rob us of the ability to be able to enjoy anything else that life had to offer. That's what was facing this couple. So what do we do? What do we do when we face with one of those situations, with one of those problems, with one of those crises, with one of those nightmarish situations that happen in life? I believe that scripture through this story actually gives us a blueprint that we can follow, some things that we can hold on to during those times that we're faced with those rocky moments, with those rocky times. They're running out of wine, and Scripture says that Mary comes to tell Jesus. We have the hindsight of being able to look back and know who Jesus is and know everything that he's done. And so the fact that Mary goes to Jesus doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But think about it in this context, in the, in the moment when this was actually taking shape. Mary went to Jesus, but what did she really expect him to do? Maybe she had seen him do something like this before, but Scripture says that this is the first recorded miracle that we have of Jesus. So what did she expect him to do? Did she expect him to perform a miracle? Did she expect him to just say, hey, I'll run down to the store and see what I can find. I'll go knock on a neighbor's door and we'll see how much more we can find. What exactly is she expecting Jesus to actually do here? I don't know if she knew what he would do. I don't know if she knew what what he could do. 
but I know that she knew the one that she was going to. She didn't know what he would do, but she knew who he was. You see, years earlier when she was pregnant, the angel had visited her and told her that she was going to give birth to the Messiah. She may not have known what he would do, but she knew the one that she was going to see. Whenever we're faced with a need in our lives, the first thing that we need to do is to go to the one that we know. Now I know, I know what you're thinking, right? Because I was thinking the same thing. Well, that seems simple. <laughs> That's not what I came to hear today. I came to hear something new. I, I, I know that when I'm faced with a problem, I need to go to Jesus with it, right? But why is this so difficult for us? Why is it so difficult for the fact that we take our problems to Jesus? Why is it so difficult for that to be the first thing that we do rather than the last thing that we do? Because we treat it like this, right? Well, I've tried everything else. I guess, the, I guess the only thing I have left to do is to pray about it. I, know I, I can't count the number of times I said, well, the only thing I can do now is pray. We usually view taking the problem to God as a last resort, and we treat prayer like a last resort. We'll struggle alone with our problems, or we may consult a couple of people, but we take this approach that I've got to fix it. That, you know, a crisis happens, the nightmare happens, and the first thing I've got to do is, okay, how can I fix the problem? How can I jump in there and take care of things? How can I jump in there and mend the fences? How can I jump in there and bring a solution to the problem that I'm facing? We've come to the conclusion that unless we can fix it ourselves, then we are completely helpless. I'm going to say something to us today that I know that I need to hear at times, and probably you need to hear as well. Since when did it become your job to fix everything? You're trying to carry the weight of all the problems and trying to fix it all yourself. You're not qualified for that job. You're not strong enough for that job. You're not wise enough for that job. That is a false responsibility that you have placed on yourself. That it's your role to fix it all. That was not a role that God put on you. The role that God put on you, the role that God put on me, is that when we are faced with the problem, that we go to him with it. That we let him carry the burden that we let him direct our steps, that we come and we, face the, and we place the situation down at his feet. Mary went to the one that she knew. She presented the problem to Jesus. But then verse 4 happens, and that's where the crazy begins. Verse 4, Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> Jesus say, what? <laughs> uh, you ever been in a public place, maybe like a grocery store, and you were walking down the aisle, and then you heard uh, some little, you know, 8, 9, 10-year-old, 11-year-old kid get an attitude with her mom and her dad, get a little smart mouth, and you just kind of like to yourself muttered under your breath, get him, get him right now. It's kind of like one of those moments I want to pull up a chair, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to get my popcorn ready, I'm going to just sit back and watch, you're going to get him right now, it's going to be good. You ever have one of those moments right there, you're just kind of watching it happen? I kind of feel like this is one of those moments that should happen in Scripture. It's like, okay, you know what, Mary's going to get him right now. Mary's going to put him in his place. How dare he talk to his mama like that? Woman? Who are you calling woman, little man? I mean, you know, it's like, I'm going to jerk you up by your ears right now, you know. Did Jesus really talk back to his mama? The answer is no. You see, Woman was not a demeaning term as we might take it today. Now, make sure I put this in place. I am not suggesting that you go to your mom today and you say, hey, woman, happy Mother's Day. All right? That is not going to go over well for you. I'm just going to go, and don't you dare bring my name into it because I will deny, deny, deny. All right? You did not learn that here today. 
But using the term woman during this time period was not offensive. It was actually a part of their everyday uh, conversation. Uh, it was not taken as being harsh, and Jesus' mom would not have taken it as being harsh. It's actually the same phrase, dear woman, that would be used later on in the Gospel of John when Jesus is hanging from the cross and he looks down at his feet and he sees his mom there and he sees John there and he says, dear woman, behold your son. So it wasn't, it wasn't a demeaning term. It wasn't a phrase that was going to be offensive. It was actually just a part of their everyday language. But he does, in this phrase and in this statement, remind her of something that I think oftentimes we need to be reminded of as well in this next statement When he sits there and he goes, whenever we're faced with a need in our lives, we go to the one that we know, but we need to be prepared. His answer may not be what we want to hear. Jesus tells her, dear woman, that's not our problem. My time has not yet come. That's certainly not the response that Mary was hoping for in this moment in time. She had presented Jesus with a problem, and she wanted him to fix it. Sounds familiar. (laughs) How many times have I presented Jesus with a problem and like, all right, I need you to fix it. But he doesn't fix it the way that I want him to. Or his response to me is not at all what I wanted. He didn't make the cops pull over that person who just cut me off in traffic. He didn't help me get out of my last speeding ticket. He didn't give me that promotion. He didn't give me the news that I wanted to hear. He didn't open up the right door. He didn't do whatever. And chances are, for you and for I, we've been at a place in our lives where we presented a situation, we presented a problem to Jesus, and he didn't respond the way that we wanted him to. I hate telling my kids no. That's not something that I enjoy. Um, When they come to me with stuff, man, I would love to be able to say yes to everything. It'd make life a whole lot simpler, (laughs) at least in that moment. But when I have to tell them no, oftentimes they might get upset because I don't give them their way or I don't give them something that they want. And the reason that they get upset most of the time is because they don't understand the full picture of what's going on. I have found that in my life as well that one of the reasons that I get upset when Jesus doesn't give me the answer that I want is because I'm not seeing life and I'm not seeing the situation and the full picture of the way that he sees it. And see, that's what's happening with Mary here. She needs to be able to see the full picture For many years, Mary had raised Jesus as her son, right? This was the son of Mary. But now Jesus is needing her to see him as more than that. When he says this, he is reminding her that he's not just the son of Mary, but he's the son of God. The day before, Nathanael had looked at him and said, you are the son of God. He's beginning his public ministry, a journey that's going to take him to the, going to end at the cross. And as the son of God, he only does what the father says to do. In John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. Mary can't just see Jesus as her son anymore. She must see him in the same way that Nathaniel saw him. She must see him not only as her son, but as God's son as well. Jesus' point would seem to be that he and his mother are not on the same page. Mary had to step into this moment to begin to see him differently. And I think sometimes you and I, we have to start seeing Jesus differently as well. You see, when we go to the one that we know, we must begin to see him completely. When I'm faced with those nightmare situations, when I'm faced with those crisis moments in our lives, I am tempted to be able to look at Jesus as who I need him to be rather than who he is. 
I am tempted to look at Jesus and say, look, I need you to step into this situation right now and I need you to be provider. I need you to step into this situation right there and I need you to be fixer. I need you to step into this situation and I need you to be the one who solves my problems. And I fail to look at the totality of who God is. For instance, when somebody has offended me or wronged me, or better yet, somebody has wronged a family member of mine. I want him to be the God who loves me, but I want him to be the God who punishes them. Flip the roles, and I want him to be the God who doesn't punish me, but shows me grace. I become focused on who I want God to be, not on who he actually is. I try to fit him into a box of what I need him to be in that moment rather than looking at the totality of who he is. He is my God, but he's also your God. He is my God, but he's also the God of everybody, including the people who upset me, make me mad, offended me, wronged me, hurt me. He's not just my God. He is our God He's the God of grace, but he's also the God of justice. He's the God of love, but he's also the God who demands payment for sin. And sometimes I need to be reminded that, yes, he is the God who loves me, but he's also the God who disciplines me. We have to see him completely and fully for who he is. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm in those moments of nightmarish situations and crisis and problems, I find myself praying with an incomplete picture of who he is. I pray with the best of intentions, but they are mostly about what I want and less about what he wants. It's often that I find myself not necessarily praying kingdom of God prayers, but more kingdom of me prayers. And the question I feel like God is asking me today and asking all of us is this, are we praying his will and his purposes, or are we praying our will and our purposes? You see, because this is what I feel like God's teaching me recently. Greg's, uh, Greg's plan doesn't fit, or his plan doesn't fit into Greg's life. Greg's life fits into his plan. I'm not the center of the story. He is. And when we come to him, we have to have the complete perspective of who he is. We need to see him in his fullness of who he is, not just who I want him to be. And when he looked at Mary and he said, my time has not yet come he was looking at her and not being a demeaning way, not in a derogatory way, not talking back to her, but hey, listen, things are changing. I'm not just your son, I'm the son of my father. And then catch how Mary responds to an answer that she didn't want. Verse five, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. I gotta be honest with you, this isn't necessarily the response that I would have given. Get, putting myself in this situation, I don't know that I'd have given this response right here. I could, have, I could have caught my smart mouth coming back with, you know, what, well, you may be the son of God, but where was he when your diapers need to be changed? You know, where was he when those late, late night feedings? Okay, I'm, you know, I've been here working on this. I'm, I'm still your mama. But that's not how she responds at all. Do whatever he tells you. She didn't know how he was going to respond. She didn't know what he was going to say next. She didn't know if he was going to say, hey, my time has not yet come, so I told you I'm done with this and I'm walking away. We're not doing this right now. She didn't know if, she was gonna, if he was going to send the servants to go knock on somebody's door and see if they had any more drink available. She didn't know what he was going to do. But she knew that whatever he chose to do was going to be the right thing. Whatever he chose would be best, whether he granted her request or not. 
See, whenever we're faced with a need in our lives, we go to the one that we know. We've got to see him completely, but we must also submit to his plan. That's what Mary did. She took the problem to Jesus and then submitted to his plan, whatever it was. She knew that she could turn to Jesus in their time of need, but she also knew to leave things with him once she had made the need known to him. And I think for you and for I, oftentimes we get the wrong idea of what submitting to his plan is about. When I, I, personally, when I think of submitting, I think of Ric Flair. Okay, I did not get nearly as many woos as I thought I would just by saying Ric Flair. All right, okay, thank you. You know, it's too late now. You've missed your moments. I think of Ric Flair because Ric Flair's finishing move was the figure four leg lock. He would get his opponents into a compromising situation. He would wrap his legs around him. He would lay down on the mat, and they would be in excruciating pain. And there would come this moment in time where they couldn't take it any longer, and so they would slap the mat. They would say, I quit. I give up. I lose. You win. And I think oftentimes when we think about submitting our plans and and submitting to, to God's plans, we often think about the fact that I lose and you win. God, I lose. God, you win. But the idea is this, is that we were never fighting against God. God's always been fighting for you. He was never fighting against you. He was fighting for you. And so the idea of that when we submit, it's not the fact that he wins and we lose. When we submit, we simply say, I trust. Submission has nothing to do with you losing or you winning. Submission has to do with me saying, I trust in my Father. I trust in my God. I trust that you know what's best. I trust that you see more than I can see. I trust that you know more than I know. I trust in your plan. And so as hard as it becomes, we say I submit to his plan. I step back and I say, not my will, but yours be done. God, I know how I want this to work out. I know how I want this to go. But in this moment and in this time right now, I'm simply saying, I trust you. It's not easy. It's really hard right now because I know what I, I, know what I want. But I'm trusting that what you have for me is better than what I want. We submit to his plans. And now I've got to be honest with you. What happens next is I've struggled with this part of it. At, at initial glance, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense We come to verse 6 in the story, and it says this, Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. Jesus had just told his mom, my time has not yet come. This is no concern of ours. My time has not yet come. She looks at the servants and says, do whatever he says. And he looks over and sees these stone water jars over there and says, hey, guys, go fill those up with water. He's making preparation for a miracle that he just said that he wasn't going to do. What kind of sense does this make? I'm confused. So do a little bit of research. And some scholars sit there and they say, well, you know what? Even though that Jesus was trying to tell his mom, you've got to start seeing me differently than just your son. I need to start being seen as the son of God. Even though he was saying that, that he still was moved with compassion to be able to perform this miracle. But I think there's something else happening here as well. Another reason uh, as to why Jesus decided to perform this miracle and it's because of this. Because God always has a bigger plan at work. 
God always has a bigger plan at work than what we can see. And let me tell you this right now, whether or not you can see him moving, whether or not you can see him working in your situation or not, can you just hold on to this promise, to this idea right now, that whether or not you see it, whether or not you know it, whether or not you feel it, God is still working and moving on your behalf. No matter how dark it may seem, no matter how bad it may seem, no matter how big the problem may seem right now, God is still moving and working in your life, even behind the scenes. Jesus saw the six stone water jars. And the water parts, they were connected to the system of the law. They were part of Jewish ceremony that would take place before they entered into the temple, before Jews entered into the temple to be able to, to go in there and to worship God. They would take the water from these jars and they would begin to wash the dirt off of their hands as kind of like this symbolic gesture that they were in need of a clean heart. And for you and for I, man, that's what we need. Before God, we, have, we are in need of a clean heart that God would wash away our sins. You see, that's why Jesus came, because he's the only one who could cleanse our hearts. Nathaniel had just declared that Jesus was the Son of God. Mary and others needed to see him as the Son of God. And when Jesus was saying, my time has not yet come, throughout Scripture, that phrasing right there is always used to refer back to his crucifixion and his resurrection, to his sacrifice. He was saying, my time has not yet come. But the time, the time had come for him to begin to be seen as the Son of God. The Jewish purification jars were empty and useless, just like their ability to cleanse man's heart. The water would only wash away the dirt, but Jesus was using this to demonstrate why he had come. How? By turning the water into wine. Why wine? Because wine is symbolic. In Scripture, wine symbolizes all throughout God's salvation. Jesus turning the water into wine is symbolic of Jesus saying the old system is incompatible with the gospel. Salvation would now no longer be through a system, but it would now be through his sacrifice. The water would wash away the dirt. Jesus had come to wash away our sins and to transform us just like he had transformed that water into wine. God had a bigger plan at work. This was no longer just about turning water into wine. This was no longer just about helping, the, helping this family not to experience shame and humiliation. This was much bigger than what was going on with just, just them. This was going to be a miracle that was going to begin to set the standard for everybody that was going to be able to see and know that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. This was about pointing people towards God's heart. Every situation is always about more than we can see. There's always more going on than what you and I can see right now. It's always about pointing people, pointing us and pointing others towards the heart of the Father. God always has a bigger plan at work. So Jesus steps in and he gives the instruction. But in this miracle, it wasn't just all about what Jesus was going to do. It was also about what others were going to do in the midst of it. There was a step of faith to take. Verse 7 and 8, we read this. When the jars had been filled, he said, Now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. Don't run too quickly past this, because go back and look through all the scriptures that are said right there. At no point in time has Jesus said anything about turning water into wine. He hasn't said anything about that yet. He said, see those jars over there? Go fill them with water. Now go dip some water out and take it to the master of ceremonies. The guy is expecting wine, and he's about there, about to take him a big old glass of water. It's getting ready to get really bad. Shame and humiliation is about to be the least of their concerns. It's about to be the least of their worries. If they go up there with this glass, and that's all that it is is water, they know that they're in trouble. They know that it's about to get bad. 
Scholars at this point in time, we don't exactly know when the water turned to wine. Some believe that it happened uh, as the servants were filling the jars with water. However, most scholars believe that it wasn't until the servants dipped the water out and began to walk towards the master of ceremonies. Can you imagine what would have happened to the servants, to the groom, if it had only been water when they handed it to him? Whenever we're faced with a need, we go to the one that we know, we see him completely, we submit to his plan, and we obey his words. Many scholars believe that had the servants not been obedient, the miracle would not have happened. What miracle is awaiting our act of obedience? What is it that God is calling you to do? What step is God asking you to take? What step of faith is God asking you to take today? What step of faith is he asking you to take in your family? What step of faith is he asking you to take in your job? What step of faith is he asking you to take in your ministry? What step of faith is he asking to take you in your life? What step of faith has God put before you that he's asking you to take today? What step of obedience is God looking for you to trust him with as you step out today? For the servants, they took they took the cup and they handed it to the master of ceremonies. And the master of ceremonies, he took, a, he took a big old swig from it and he almost stops the party. He calls the groom over and he says, listen, you know, it's customary for, for the wedding party to serve the best wine first. And then uh, after some time has passed, after the best has been given, you bring out the lesser quality. But you, you've done something different. You've waited until now to bring out the best. You see, the best, the best came from what Jesus had provided in that moment and in that time. And for us today, I want you to hear this. If you'll take that step of obedience, if you'll trust in what God has for you and you step out in faith, if you'll bring your need to him, if you'll see him fully and completely, if you'll submit to his plan, if you'll trust him and take that step of obedience, there will be nothing like what God will provide in your life. It'll be the very best that you've, that you've ever experienced. Listen, salvation is the very best thing, very best gift that any of us will ever get. It's the best choice, best decision that any of us will ever make. But can I tell you, on the other side of salvation, on the other side of saying yes to Jesus, there is some amazing gifts that God has for you. And it's better than anything else, any other gift that any other human being can give us. But it happens as we surrender our lives, as we submit to him, and as we take a step of obedience on the other side of that obedience, it says this, says this miraculous sign in verse 11, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Doesn't say the disciples, doesn't say that disciples believed him. It says they believed in him. Reminds me of this story that I heard years ago uh, this family was in their house. It was the middle of the night. They were sleeping, and then all of a sudden, the smoke detector started going off, and there was a fire in their home. And so mom and dad, they tried to grab all the kids in the confusion, and they got everybody out of the house, and they started doing a head count as they got outside the house, and they realized that they were missing one of their children. They were missing their nine-year-old son. And so uh, the fire was kind of blazing through the front doors and the back doors, and there was no way to be able to get back in the house. So mom and dad, they just started running around the house looking for their other son, trying to get out somewhere else, calling out his name. And all of a sudden, they heard the faint cries of their little boy calling back to him, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy. The dad ran around and he saw his uh, eight-year-old son in the second story in the bedroom window with his head kind of popping out, calling out and asking and begging for help. 
The dad knew that he couldn't get back up the stairs. There was no way to get back inside the house. So he got underneath the window and he said, listen, son, the only way for you to, the only way for you to get out of this fire, the only way for you to get out of the house is you're going to have to jump. You're going to have to jump out the window and I want you to trust me. I promise you, I will catch you, but I need you to jump and I need you to jump now. The eight-year-old boy is terrified. He's crying. He says, Daddy, I can't. I can't jump. I, it's too far. It's too far. I, 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 I'm going to get hurt. I, I, it, this is hot. I need you to come up here and get me, Daddy. I, I, I just can't jump. He says, no, son, listen to me. You need to jump and I need you to jump now. The little boy responds back, but Daddy, I can't see you. Father's replied back, that's okay. I can see you. And when we're going through the nightmare, when we're going through the crisis, when we're going through the hurt, and we're going through the pain, oftentimes it can be difficult to see God in the middle of it. God, I, I know you're supposed to be there, but I can't see you. God, you're asking me to take this step of faith. You're asking me to trust you in this moment in time. And this is difficult. This is hard because I, I can't see you. I can't, I can't even see you working in this. I, can't, I, can't, I, don't, I don't know where you're at in the middle of this. And I believe that God's heart for you and for me today is for him to say this. It's okay. You may not be able to see me, but I see you. Trust me. Take that step. Trust me. Take that step into my arms today. Trust me. Will you trust him? Will you trust him enough to take that step? Maybe for you, that step is to believe in him for the very first time and to say yes to him. Maybe for you, that step is to bring that problem to him and to leave it there. Maybe it's to begin to see him completely, to see him fully for who he is. Maybe for you, it's to submit to his plan. What's the step of faith that you need to take? Whatever it is, will you trust him and take that step? Would you pray with me? In this moment and in this time right now, Listen, maybe the place for you to begin, maybe the place for you to start is to say, the place for me to begin is by giving my life to Jesus. That's the very beginning place for every single one of us is that we surrender and we submit our lives to Jesus. That we say yes to him and what he has for us. That we begin to recognize and to realize that what God has done for us the sacrifice of his son, him willingly laying down his life and going to the cross and taking on our sins so that we might experience life and experience it to the full so that we could experience the very best that Jesus has to offer for us. It's the very best decision that you'll ever make. If that's you and you would say, hey, the place that I need to begin is by saying yes to him, by surrendering my life to Jesus. If that's you, promise you I'm not going to embarrass you but if that's you would you just raise your hand right where you're at this morning I want to be able to pray for you today that's you amen 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 are there any others today don't want to move past it don't want to go too quickly if you would say hey Greg you know what where I'm at in my life right now yeah I'm, I'm going through one of those situations right now and I know that God's leading me towards a step of faith today. Whatever that step of faith is, 
Maybe God's speaking it to you right now. If you just say, hey, Greg, I, I'm, I'm taking a step today. Would you pray for me? If that's you, once again, I'm not going to embarrass you, but that's you. Would you just lift your hand up right now? We can pray for you. Amen. Amen. Hands up. Hands up everywhere. Yeah. 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 Father, right now, Father, we bless you and we thank you. God, we thank you for those that are saying yes to you. We ask right now, God, that as we are making that decision to say yes, that, Father, we would experience and we would sense your love and your grace over our lives. Church, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to join me in praying as we pray for those that are saying yes. Just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you sent your son to die for me. We thank you that you are full of love, grace, and mercy upon our lives. We thank you for your sacrifice, for your resurrection, and the life that you give. We surrender our lives to you. Father, we ask right now, God, that as we are saying yes to you, as we are making steps of faith today, that God, that you would help us to be strengthened and God, that you would help us to be encouraged. And Father, that you would give us the wisdom and the boldness and the trust in you to make those steps. Father, we love you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let me bless you today. I bless you with a spirit of celebration. A spirit of joy. That we get a chance to celebrate all that God is doing in our lives and in the lives of those that are around us that we get a chance to rejoice in what he's doing in us. Even in times that are hurtful and painful, that we would still find ways to celebrate and rejoice. I bless you with that this morning. And now I commission you to leave this place, to share that joy with all those that you come in contact with, that they may know the joy that only Jesus can bring. For it's in his mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, have a great day. Happy Mother's Day. We love you. Can't wait to see you next week. Pastor Andy will be back with week four of Crazy Jesus. Have a good one. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.